Kia no mai, hi to mai, I'm Dan, welcome to the Short Vineyard Podcast, great to have you listening today. The message you're about to hear is from our current series called Eight Journeys, God Encounters That Could Change Us Forever. We want to explore this idea of being moved in 2019 from wherever we are now to wherever God is calling us to, taking whatever next step there is in our faith journey. So hopefully that's what this message encourages you to do. And stick around because at the end, I'll let you know how you could take a next step to be a further part of our church community. Right now, enjoy the message. I was thinking that rags to riches is a phrase that could have actually been invented for David, who was the youngest, therefore the least significant, of the eight sons of Jesse, a farmer, a man who was born 3,000 years ago. That's how old this story is. As human stories go very long, as popular songs go, practically unheard of. And while you might not think of Psalm 23 as being kind of top of the pops, it is a song that has maintained its place in the spiritual and human consciousness. Three books in the Bible record David's journey from being a follower of the sheep or a shepherd boy to becoming a king and leader of God's people, a shepherd on an entirely different scale. And David's formation as king was so shaped by his experiences in the pastures and the mountainsides, the valleys, and the the tricky bits of caring for the valuable assets of his father's flock. David knew sheep. He knew their vulnerabilities. He knew their natures. He probably named them, so therefore he knew their names. He also knew people. He had enemies, he had struggles, he experienced losses, defeats, fears, griefs. He knew failure on the most epic scale in every sphere of life you might like to think about. And yet, most importantly, he knew God and knew God as his shepherd. So, We're going on this three-part journey into Psalm 23, which is the song of David about his shepherd. And I've called the three parts, rest, walk, dwell. Three little verbs there to kind of hang our hat on. Rest, walk, dwell. One of these spaces is probably where God waits for you right now. So... Listen out for it. Let's go now to the first part of the psalm. Oh, I just wanted to show you this actually. So the the shepherd is one of the most uh, enduring and early images of Christ. So this is from an early Christian tomb. So when we're we're talking about the shepherd, we are going back 3,000 years, which was with David, but we're also um, with the early Christian church and their image of who Jesus is and Jesus' own naming of himself, so the good shepherd. 
You might like to just listen to this. If you are a reader and you want to read, fine. But really, I just want to say to you, notice what you notice. So just listen. Oh, my beloved, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. You bring me to green pastures for rest and lead me beside still waters, renewing my spirit. You restore my soul. You lead me in the path of goodness to follow love's way. So if we pop back here for a moment, here we've got the shepherd. And we're invited just for a moment to do what David did, which is put himself in the place of a sheep. Bit odd, but a useful exercise nevertheless. Because David is singing about God being his shepherd. That necessarily means putting himself in the place of the sheep. So for the next few minutes, you're not responsible for anyone or anything. You can just be in this space. And hey, why don't we just be in this space with a lovely abstract piece of art called Green Pastures and Still Waters. So imagine you're a sheep and you're just in a simple world of basic needs, food and shelter, threat and protection, roaming and rest. You see the shepherd from a unique perspective. This is not a peer-to-peer relationship. So just connect with the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. We're invited into stillness and rest, green pastures, the renewal and restoration of our spirit. But this green pastures and still waters business is quite difficult for humans. We like the sound of it. Sounds great, you know, chilling in the pastures with the still waters and stuff. But the reality is we often prefer and default to being busy. But our busyness can be a way of distracting ourselves from painful and difficult things. Busyness and productivity can be a form of self-medicating and a very effective way of keeping Jesus, the shepherd, at a distance. To be fair though, sometimes even sheep don't rest. And here's a few reasons why. If there's friction, if there are other sheep up in your grill, it's not easy to be at ease. So sheep won't come and rest and lie down like they're supposed to if they have relational situations going on with other sheep. The same could be true for us. It's hard to just be still when we're kind of agitated by interpersonal problems. Fear is another thing that stops sheep just coming and settling and being calm. So flight mode kicks in and the running begins. I think the same is quite true of humans, that when we're afraid, 
we can't be still either. The fight or flight thing happens. And so to just experience rest in the midst of fear is quite a challenging thing for us. Flies. So, sheep get fly-blown apparently. Not going to go into the details, way too gross. But the little things that make life miserable, the tormenting things that gradually just nibble away and nibble away at, and erode your sense of well-being that become ultimately the straw that breaks the camel's back. Those things, those little things can be enough to stop sheep coming and resting and um, being in that pasture place. And the last thing is food. They are uh, browsing animals. They, they walk around and nibble the grass until they've had enough to eat. But if there isn't enough to eat, they just keep moving, which really isn't that great because they're burning energy at the same time. So when we're on a constant search for something that satisfies, we can't be still. And, and maybe we shouldn't be in that instance. So Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. So we conclude from that that there were actually some pretty terrible shepherds, irresponsible, the sheep didn't belong to them, they didn't treat them well. But in David's image, he's looking after his father's sheep. So there's a lovely layer of responsibility and trust there. So the good shepherd is the one who notices who's missing. Not to judge them, not to punish them, because, well, that would be stupid. Um, the shepherd notices who's missing to care for them. It's from that place of responsibility and affection and caring. And they're valuable, so he doesn't want to lose them. So that noticing of the shepherd, of who's there and who isn't, um, is, is really important. And to know that we're seen and cared for when we're, you know, in that frictiony place, the fearful place, suffering from the flies or got some food issues going on. This part of the psalm where it talks about stillness, it's just really good to notice that stillness is a spiritual treasure. It's an important practice that actually opens the way to intimacy with God where we can bring the needs we talked about before, about interpersonal stuff, our fears, our flies, whatever they might be, our hungers, we can bring those to God in that space when we're still enough to pay attention to them. I don't know whether you were aware of this or not, but the shepherd likes his sheep fat. A skinny sheep is not good news. For the shepherd. So the poor sheep who are stressed, who are running around, who don't get to do what sheep need to do, which is kind of nestle down and chew their cud, which sounds gross, but if you've got four stomachs, that's what you've got to do. It's in that time that they're putting on fat. And it, those fat reserves are really good for hard times. Fat reserves are good for when you're looking after young ones. Fat reserves are good for when you're having to tackle demanding terrain. We don't have four stomachs, obviously, but we do have the ability to ruminate, to turn things over. We do that by doing it in our mind and also in this other space, what we might call our heart. So I guess, if you like, we've got two stomachs, our mind and our heart. We can turn things over there 
sit with them for a bit. So there might be something that's come your way from God, a truth, a possibility, maybe a learning to explore, an affirmation or an invitation, a puzzling question. We're invited in this rest part to nestle down, to turn it over in our heart and mind without doing anything else other than that, and we're fed and fattened by it. This is not time-wasting. It's fattening our soul. The Hebrew word for fat is darshen, and it has these lovely connotations of anointing as well as prospering and um, also just being plain fat, which is a good thing. Bit of a mind shift there for most of us. So does your soul need restoring? Is this your space where you're invited to be? Can you respond to the shepherd as your beloved just for a moment and be still? And you might like to linger there if that's your space while the rest of us move into the next part. Again, just notice what you notice. See what your heart needs to hear. This isn't a teaching, it's just a receiving, if you like. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow and of death, I am not afraid. For you are ever with me. Your rod and your staff, they guide me. They give me strength and comfort. Many of you know what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow and of death. Lisa Glynn is in that place now with her dad. You might be doing so in some way right now. The pressure points and the tight spots in life, which we all know in our own ways, is actually also a real geographical, physical place that David knew well. Even today, it is the path to the seasonal pastures. It's narrow and dark with these towering steep cliffs, and in parts it's so tight that a sheep, a single sheep, can't turn around. Um, so all the flocks and the herders head out in the morning, one after the other, and then they come back in the evening, one after the other, because otherwise you end up with a traffic jam in the, this narrow space. You can't just go back and forth. The rod and the staff are used by the shepherd to keep the sheep moving and to encourage them to jump over gaps uh, on the track where parts have been washed out. And if they fall into a gap... They're lifted out by the, the shepherd's crook. And sometimes, because there are wild dogs in the area, and if there's one sheep just going through at a time, it's quite vulnerable to attack. I love this. The shepherd can just biff his staff with deadly accuracy and knock the dog out. I think that's pretty cool. That's the valley of the shadow right there. Interestingly, in experiencing the... Um, tensions of going through this space daily with the shepherd, the sheep adapt to it 
and become, they go through calmly and they pass that calm onto the little ones, which I think is just the most wonderful thing. So they adapt to the scary transition. They're comforted, if you like, by the rod and the staff. They've experienced what happens when the shepherd is there, when the dog is there, when they fall in the hole, whatever, that there's a, there is a way through. They are comforted. So they know that despite the shadows and the dogs and the confinement and the risk, the shepherd makes it doable. He's watching out and he's with them. You might, some of you, be familiar with the writer and Catholic priest who's now passed away, Henry Nouwen. But in his book, Compassion, he talks about this watching and present God, the one who's attentive and with us. So just, again, listen to this as a little bit of a story, if you like. He says, God is a compassionate God. This means, first of all, that our God has chosen to be God with us. As soon as we call God, God with us, we enter into a new relationship of intimacy. God is no longer separate or outside of our experience. God's compassion, he says, is anchored in the most intimate solidarity, a solidarity that allows us to say, with the psalmist, this is our God, and we are the people he pastures, the flock that he guides. God's compassion isn't abstract, it's not indefinite, but it's a concrete and specific gesture in which God reaches out to us. And in Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God's compassion to us who cry out from the depth of our brokenness for a hand that will touch us, an arm that can embrace us, lips that will kiss us, a word that speaks to us here and now, and a heart that is not afraid of our fears and tremblings, to us who feel our own pain as no other human being feels it has felt it or ever will feel it and are always waiting for someone who dares to come close. To us, a person has come who could truly say, I am with you. Jesus Christ, who is God with us, has come to us in the freedom of love, not needing to experience our human condition, but freely choosing to do so out of love. So compassion is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It means to suffer with. So is your God compassionate? And if that's your space, you might like to just linger there while we travel on. Again, notice what you notice, what's in here for you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of all my fears. You bless me with oil. My cup overflows Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the heart of the beloved forever. The hospitality of God is our reality. We live in it every day, but we often miss it. 
right now, tonight, we can experience it more consciously. But it's there in the midst of our everyday life. I love that in this working of the, the psalm, Nan Merrill, who's, who's done this work, talks about preparing a table before us in the presence of all our fears. Many of us will be familiar with that as saying in the presence of my enemies. But there's something a bit more real and potent about naming this as our fears. And different things frighten different people, don't they? Some fears sit right at the, t the surface and people know that we're frightened of those things, spiders, rats, birds. Um, walking down the street with my daughter in Wellington with the pigeons is an exercise in trying to stop her running under a bus because every time those pigeons fly up, she just freaks out. So there are fears that sit on the surface. But there are other fears that are so barricaded in by our independence and our self-reliance that we're, we ourselves aren't very aware of them. Things like fear of losing control of what's going on, fear of being hurt, which can lead us to try and control what's going on, fear of insignificance, fear of being found out. Whatever our awareness of our fears is or isn't, Somehow, in the presence of all of them, a table is prepared for us. And this is the great and beautiful invitation to every human soul, that there is this one table that sits at the heart of this one story that is for one people, not just one person, but one people under one God. And coming to this table includes the psalmist tells us, receiving blessing with oil, an overflowing cup, the companionship of two graces, goodness and mercy, to follow us all the way home. I'm going to share a second story from Henry Nouwen, and this is from his book Home Tonight, in which he's kind of teasing out some ideas, ready to write a bigger book called uh, The Return of the Prodigal. So this is his own experience here. He says, um, when I was at Harvard teaching about Jesus to hundreds of people from all over the world, I was miserable. It was then I unconsciously touched the strong voice from my childhood that spoke to me about the simple way of Jesus. I began to wonder if my proclaiming the gospel of Jesus wasn't actually the best way of losing my spirit and my connection with the divine in my life. Harvard is a very ambitious institution, interested in the best and the brightest, in power, upward mobility, political influence, and economic success. Talking about Jesus there wasn't easy, and I felt pressure to adapt to the model of the university, to become more competitive, and to make it as a professor. And remember here, he's a priest. Separated by death, from the loving relationship with my mother, I felt lonely, detached in prayer, unable to respond to those who wanted to become my friends and without a community around me. I knew I had to do something, but I felt desperate because I didn't know what to do. I began to ask Jesus in times of prayer for direction out of my pain. 
One morning in my little apartment, a knock came at my door and the little woman standing on the step smiled at me as I opened the door. Hello, I said, what are you doing here so early in the morning? Well, she said, my name is Jan Rissa. What can I do for you? I've come to bring you greetings from Jean Vanier. Well, the name Jean Vanier was just a name for me. I admired his communities uh, working with disabled people called Lash. I'd mentioned Jean Vanier in one of my books, but I'd never actually met him. So I said again to Jan Rissa, well, what can I do for you? She continued to smile and replied, well, I come to bring greetings from Jean Vanier. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So what is it that you've come for? Well, I come to bring greetings from Jean Vanier. <laughs> Conscious of my busy day ahead, wanting to bypass the small talk that's apparently going nowhere, I said, did you want me to give a talk somewhere? A, a seminar uh, or a workshop or a lecture? What can I do for you? And she looked at me and suggested that I might like to invite her to come in. <laughs> so I stood aside and said, sure, come on in. But I have a class and then I have a meeting and I'm pretty much tied up till supper time. In my living room, she turned and said, that's fine. You go off. I'll be fine right here until your return. Thus, she came in and I left her for the better part of the day. Upon my return in the early evening, I gazed at my room. My table was covered with a white linen cloth and beautifully set with plain china and flowers in the centre. Astonished, I exclaimed, what's this? Oh, I thought you and I could have dinner together, she casually replied. But where did you find all these beautiful things, I asked. From your own cupboard, she said, pointing to the buffet. You must not look round your own house very often. She'd created this beautiful, wonderful dinner for the two of us with candles and wine from my own house. I found her a room on campus and she stayed for three days. We had a few visits um, and then she came to some of my classes and when she left, her last words to me were, remember, Jean Vanier sent his greetings. I sat in my chair and said to myself, something is happening. This visit wasn't for nothing. But then nothing happened for many, many months until the phone rang one day and Jean Vanier was on the other end of the line. Henry, he said, I was on retreat here in Chicago and I was thinking of you. Is there any chance you could come and join us here? Here turned out to mean Henry leaving Harvard and going to Lash, living with the disabled and otherwise forgotten people and finding his way home. The psalm and Henry's story both have a surprising meal in them. Out of nothing and nowhere comes a generous and thoughtful banquet food for now and for the way ahead because somehow at this meal something has mysteriously changed. This encounter means something for the future. In the context of the psalm, it's at this table that the full humanity of that one in the psalm is 
restored. So if we think about it, oh, we're not sheep now. Sheep don't need tables or drink from cups. Or, so somehow that sheepiness has, has faded away and here we are. The same as the shepherd in a mutual relationship. God shares in our humanity, we share in God's divinity. We're not eating grass now. Our souls are fattened. We're ready to be at the table with him, receiving and sharing our blessing and being at home in or dwelling in the heart of the beloved. So this part of the psalm is also an invitation to look around us and see where the table is set each day in the midst of our fears. Then we truly partake in the body of Christ by becoming nourishing bread and joyful wine for others. So we're having communion tonight. We're coming to the table. I want us to come to the table awake and aware. Don't come just because it's the thing that you do or the thing that we're all doing or whatever. Come with your hunger for God. Come able for you and it does mean something for now and for the future. Come because this is how God shows hospitality and demonstrates his desire to nourish and shelter you and all of us. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Shaw Vineyard podcast. Real quick, before you go, if you haven't already, it would be a great idea to subscribe to the podcast, especially if somebody sent this to you so that you don't miss when the next episode gets published. And if you are on Auckland's North Shore and in the Forest Hill or the Bays area, we'd love to host you in person at one of our services, either 10 a.m. or 5 p.m. this coming Sunday. It'd be our honour to host you as a guest this weekend. Whatever is in store for you for the rest of the day, the rest of this week, I hope it is a good one, and we'll see you next time here on the Shore Vineyard Podcast.